You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning again. Um, my name is Brad Talley. I don't know if that was uh, made clear a little while ago. I am the teaching elder here at Grace, but this morning uh, you're going to get to hear a whole lot better voice than mine for the first part. Miss Allison is going to come and share something with the young one. So kindergarten through third grade, if you would, come on up. Come on up. The best part of the message last weekend, it was great, the whole thing, but was when David had these guys up here, because they get to help preach the message. You guys come on up. What a lovely bunch of young ones we have right here. Good morning, guys. Are you guys excited for Christmas? That doesn't sound very excited. Are you guys excited for Christmas? All right. I wonder if anyone can tell me how many days there are until Christmas. Daniel. Really close. Bingo, there are eight days left till parents. Are you ready for that? There's only eight days left. So, <laughs> well, I want to ask you guys if you could choose one word only to tell me what you're looking forward to most about Christmas, what would that one word be? Okay, cool part of Christmas, isn't it? Going to have a snowball fight with our cousins. <laughs> All right, snowball fights with cousins. All right, what about up the back here? Jesus, good answer. That's precious, wonderful. Celebrating Jesus' birthday. Awesome. Lily. The tree. I love that. Snowball fights. All right. Get ready for it, parents. Snowball fights. All right. Well, I want to talk to you just a little bit this morning about Christmas. You saw snow yesterday? It must have been on TV, was it? Okay. Outside? Very cool. Like frost. Pastor Brad loves snow too. We're all hoping that it might snow at Christmas. Anyway, so uh, Christmas is a time for us to think about Jesus, isn't it? So I want to tell you about a couple of traditions that my family had when my children were growing up. One of the things that we used to do, we would go to the dollar section in Target. Who likes going to Target and visiting the dollar section? Oh, there are lots of fun things that you can pick up there. I am sure you love... Have you all been shopping in the dollar section? You all know what I'm talking about, right? So here's what we would do. We would each draw a name of someone in our family, and we were given $5, and we had to go shop for that person. And it was the coolest thing. So sometimes I drew my son, Jonathan... And I got to go pick some things out that I thought that he would really like. Sometimes I drew my daughter, Sarah's name, and I got to go shop for her. And it was so cool thinking about other people and being able to buy gifts for them. The other thing that we would do at Christmas was we would give gifts to Jesus. And we would wrap them up or put them in a little envelope and we'd write a little letter to Jesus and we would tell him what gift we might want to offer up to him. Because it is his birthday after all, right? Do you think that's fair to give a gift to Jesus on his birthday? Right, so let's think about what kind of gifts might we be able to give to Jesus. Well, I'm going to tell you about one of the gifts that one of my children gave to him one year. One of my children decided that they wanted to obey their mummy and daddy a little more than they had been. 
And so they wrote a note to Jesus saying that my gift to you this Christmas is that I want to obey my parents more. Do you think that brings pleasure to Jesus when we obey our parents? It does, because that's obeying Jesus, isn't it? Because it tells us to honour our mother and our father. So when we obey our parents, that's giving a gift to Jesus, right? One of the other gifts that one of my children gave one year, they wrote a letter to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want to learn how to share more. Because sometimes I'm a little selfish and I want things. I want to keep my toys to myself. But I want to learn to be able to share a little more this year. And so their gift to Jesus was to share their toys more. That's hard sometimes, isn't it? Is that hard for you sometimes? It is. But do you know, when we think about others, and when we think about Jesus before we think about ourselves, that actually is what joy is all about. I have a little word here that says joy. And what does the the J stand for in joy? Jesus. What does the O stand for? Others. And the Y? So notice that you are last in that. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? (laughs) Because don't we always want the gift ourselves? Some of you said that that's what you're looking forward to most about Christmas is getting gifts, and I understand that. I look forward to getting gifts too. I can't wait to unwrap the gift that Pastor Brad has wrapped up for me that's under the Christmas tree. It's been under there for two weeks, and I've had to wait and wait and wait. So I'm looking forward to that gift. But I want us to think this morning about joy. Joy doesn't come from putting ourselves first. Joy comes when we think first about Jesus and then about others and then about ourselves. Because Jesus put us first, didn't he? When he came down to this earth to be a little baby and grow up as a little boy and then a young man and then to die on the cross for us, he wasn't thinking of himself. He was thinking of us. He was thinking of you. He put you first before himself. And so I want us to think about ways that we can put Jesus first and then put others before ourselves. So I'm going to ask you a really hard question. What do I have here? Oh, not a dollar. Ooh, a lot more than $20. So this is a hard question, and I want you to be really honest. If I were to give you this $20 today, what would you do with this $20? Buy Buy something for Jesus. Oh, that's wonderful. And what are some ways that we can buy something for Jesus? Okay, giving him something that he needs. Okay, so maybe he needs us to love others, doesn't he? He asks us to love others. So instead of going and using this on ourselves, I wonder if maybe we could think about buying a meal maybe for someone who's homeless. Have you ever seen any homeless people on the street corners? People who don't have a home? You've seen a lot. So maybe we could use this to go get a meal for them. Do you think that would be a gift for Jesus? It really would, wouldn't it? Okay. What are some other ways that you might be able to use this $20? Glory to Jesus. Yeah. Maybe you could um, go buy some flowers for someone who's lonely. Maybe someone in a nursing home, an old person, who maybe doesn't have anyone to come visit them. And maybe if you went to visit them and bought them some flowers, that might bring joy to them. And you know what? It would bring joy to you as well. Because the greater joy is in giving. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it tells us it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So I want you to think today, boys and girls, about ways that you can give to Jesus as we prepare for his birthday. Thank you all. Let me just pray for us. 
Lord, thank you so much that you have given the gift of yourself to us. I pray that you would help these boys and girls to, and all of us to be able to give to others at this Christmas time and realize that there is great joy in giving, more joy in giving than there is in receiving. So help us, Lord, to give to you and to give to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, boys and girls. Telling us to uh, think about others ahead of ourselves. That was very good, Allison. Thank you very much. I got to hear that a couple of times. She gets to hear my sermons a couple of times. So uh, it was a blessing as she was telling me what she was thinking about saying with those guys. I want to just uh, encourage those of you who are younger to do something I've heard about a long time ago. When you hear a word that you don't know, write it down. And look it up when you go back home. Adults, when you hear a word, well, no, I think you'll know most of them. So, um, how many times have you heard this year, that's what Christmas is all about? Good grief, I hear it all the time. That's what Christmas is all about. What percentage of the times that you have heard it, would you say that there was some spiritual, biblical uh, association with that word. A very small percentage, most likely. Um, I, I, Christmas to many is what the Bible is, what Jesus is to them, whatever they want it to be. I mean, Christmas, you just sort of attach whatever it is you're wanting to say and then say, that's what it is all about. Now, we heard this morning so far, indeed, Jesus' example of coming and giving himself t entirely to us leads us to give to others. I thought it was a great response when uh, Allison said, well, Jesus doesn't need anything, but he needs us to give to others. That's the way he serves other people is through us. Uh, within the next week, I am certain, it's almost certain. Actually, I'm surprised that there are many of you as there are here today. I would have expected some of you to be traveling already. You'll either be traveling to see grandparents or grandchildren, or they'll be coming to see you. Um, there may be nothing that brings you more joy than when your kids marry, when, you're, when all different kinds of people, there's a blended family that gets together and just rejoices over Jesus' birth. There may be very few things that bring you more angst than when blended families get together <laughs> and you all sort of celebrate Christ and... Somewhere along the line, someone will say, well, in our family, we did it that way. And someone else will say, well, in this house, we're going to do it this way. If your goal is for everyone to be normal and to be on the same page, I would advise you to get another goal. Uh, that's just give up on that one. But what about this family, this family that we have here at church, the family of God at Grace Community Church. We live by a different set of rules, don't we? I mean, we recognize that we come from different backgrounds, and so we consequently uh, just accept that. There's no snippiness or bitterness or snide remarks. Never, ever do you hear that in a Christian setting, right? Well, it is designed that way. But since we all come from Adam's family, uh, our... Old ways at times defeat our best efforts to get along as we should. The Christian life can be quite the challenge. But to think in terms of, so how can I better live the Christian life? Is to focus on the form rather than the substance. Understand what I'm saying? If we're focusing on, here's what the Christian life should be like. We're focusing on form rather than substance. It's focus on the law rather than the gospel. And by the way, 
your responsibility as parents is you want to teach grace and gospel as much as you can, but you really have to lay down the law. <clears throat> I don't mean super heavy-handed, but you do have to teach the law. That's the way Scripture goes. We understand the law. We recognize that we're un- incapable of living it, and then we're grateful for grace. But nonetheless, God's law is good. Nothing wrong with the law. It's just that the law has no ability to give life. It can only condemn. And ultimately, we need a Savior. That's what Scripture has been, was pointing to all along, that we can't keep the law. But it's fine for you to give your kids the law. They need the law. They need the boundaries. They need understanding of right and wrong. And for us to say, these things please the Lord, these things don't please the Lord. Because those are all very true statements. So as you go and you're you're committed to getting along, you know, with the people at Christmas, some of the people, there's always somebody, you know, that you're thinking, oh, if it weren't for that person, um, it would be, look, some of you are going to have beautiful and respectable Christmas celebrations that are devoid of the deep love that you long for so much, while others of you uh, will have what might only be described as messy celebrations, almost chaotic at times. But the love that permeates the family is never in question. And deep down, that's more than enough. Listen, here's a, maybe here's a good thing. I, this is not written. This is one of those uh, things that I think of and maybe I'll say later. Uh, really, I shouldn't have said that. Look. Just get over yourself when you're thinking about Christmas coming up. Just get over yourself. Don't, don't make it about you and how offended you are and how upset. Look, the crazy people are going to be crazy. We're all crazy, right? At some level, there are different levels of craziness, yeah. But we're all crazy. So just let it be. It's okay. This morning, with the Advent candle of joy being lit, the focus on salvation that is made possible through both Jesus' first and second Advents, it will not surprise you that we land in the book of Philippians, where our focus is on joy. It's on joy. Hey! Sadie, Pax, and Saber. I'm not, I don't know how... What is that doing up there? I think that's the wrong slide. So, Tony, um, yeah, that's kind of the joy that some of us will be. uh... Okay, thank you. Our text is Philippians 4, 1 through 7. Somebody sent me that picture and I had to do it. It's just funny. Uh, The topic is joy. And we're going to find this theme running all the way through Paul's theologically rich letter that he wrote to the Philippians. It's, it's actually a thank you letter. Uh, when Linda, my wife, was sick, I remember uh, thinking and praying and, and deciding to um, look at the book of Philippians because I thought, well, if I have to back out for a while and others take over, you know, this is just kind of a simple thank you, not even close. It is deep, deep, deep theologically. Philippians 2, 5 to 8, Philippians 3, 1 to 10. I mean, that is deep. It's wonderful, beautiful, theologically rich truth that is found in Philippians. And over and over, Paul says, rejoice and have joy. By the time we get to chapter 4, Paul has already made a plea for believers to live in selfless service toward one another. As we've already heard this morning. In our text, Paul encourages two women by name to live in unity with one another. Just imagine if I said, okay, now this is going on long enough and I called two names and you guys need to get along. Well, that's what Paul essentially did in Philippians chapter 4. But they're called to live in unity because of the unity that Christ has already built into who we are as a church. So Philippians 4, verses 1 through 7, would you please stand as is our custom for the reading of God's Word? <clears throat> Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. 
I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion. We don't know who Paul is speaking to. He's talking to an individual. Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. You think Paul means the Lord is close by in everything that we do or the Lord's return is near? You know the answer. Yes. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, um, we are so grateful for the peace, the love, the joy, the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. And today as we focus on joy, I pray that it will come from deep within us. And even if it doesn't bubble over in ways that we might anticipate joy uh, coming from deep within us. May it be real, substantial. Encourage our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. <clears throat> you will have no doubt uh, picked up the little phrase in the Lord or in Christ in this passage because you're good at that kind of thing. I know you just see it in there whether uh, it's pointed out or not. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to his friends from <clears throat> Philippi or from probably from Rome uh, in jail. He wrote his friends in Philippi. So that's our best guess. He was in jail in Rome under house arrest. The stigma that is associated in our day with prison. Whenever someone is in prison, there is just a stigma associated. It, it, it was multiplied many fold in ancient times. And in fact, not only was it um, shameful to think about prison, uh, it was also to the point that if you associated with someone in prison, you were then under suspicion. They kept an eye out. So all of our efforts to visit those in prison, and, and which are wonderful efforts, were so much, there was a lot greater risk in ancient times than there is in our day. So whenever you see Paul thanking those who helped him in prison, it was a big deal. It's a big deal. A, a, a letter so full of joy is the last thing you would expect from someone who was in prison. You've heard that happiness is often based on the circumstances of one's life being favorable, while joy is not determined so much by circumstances, but rather it's based on our relationship with Jesus. And as helpful and hopeful as that sounds, it's often tempting to think, well, that's nice, but I'm not exactly sure what to do with that because I can't work up that joy in me when so many things are going badly. In fact, a lot of the things that are going badly are my fault, so how can I possibly have joy? Wouldn't it be better to feel bad about the things that I've done and wouldn't it be better for me to just be mad with myself or upset with myself, disappointed? There's nowhere in this text that indicates God wants you to feel that. He wants you to repent always of sin, but then to turn to him. We'll talk about that in a little more detail a little bit later. I'm not sure that the following thoughts will advance our attempt at having an eternal perspective in an ever-increasing everything is about the moment. I'm not talking about the year. I'm not talking about the age. I'm talking about today talking about 30 minutes, what's happened in the last 30 minutes. Everything is about the moment. Well, God calls us to have an eternal perspective. When you live in the moment, life can be pretty uh, discouraging. It can be wonderful or it can be horrible. Just in the, in, in the snap of a finger, it can change. 
So, our eternal perspective comes through Scripture. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. The more time we spend in the Word, the more t- uh, uh, of an eternal perspective we will have. So let's take a few minutes and think about five ways that joy flourishes. I'm not going to take long on e- any of these points. But joy can flourish even in the ups and downs of our lives. It occurs when our focus is on the gospel or on Jesus in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, in Christ. These principles are all through Philippians. And so we'll be jumping around, but really I'm not going to read a whole lot more scripture. A little bit here and there. Um, But there's going to be a lot of scripture on the screen with the, the, the points. And I would encourage you to maybe write those down and... Use them for a study this week with your family or just sometime put them away. Bring them back out sometime when you feel like you desperately need joy. So let's uh, jump in with the first principle. Good works may help you sleep at night, but the joyful assurance of eternal life only comes through trust in Jesus. When good people... Do good things, especially when they do good things for other people. The world is a better place, right? You would would agree with that. The difficulty comes when we realize that Scripture teaches that there are no good people. I mean, we're made in the image of God, and therefore we we do things that are very helpful and meaningful, and God uses all of those things to make the world a better place. So we're fully capable of doing many wonderful things in this life, but in the end, in the end, we're either serving God or we're serving ourselves. Don't misunderstand. Look, believers can serve ourselves. We can serve ourselves every bit as creatively as unbelievers. And in fact, we add a little spiritual twist to it. And so we, we, we really think we're something when we're actually serving ourselves. But as we learned in this solar series, in the end, we are either theologians of glory or theologians of the cross. As a theologian of glory, I seek to gain acceptance by God, by my my friends, by the world. I'm looking for acceptance. I'm wanting to justify myself in some way to feel like I am okay, especially before God. If I'm good enough, which typically means if I'm better than my neighbors, and I'll, I'll go to the next neighborhood if I have to, because maybe it's a pretty good crowd in my neighborhood, but somewhere I'm going to find some people, I'm better than them, and I'm okay. It's a the- theology of glory. So whatever my vision, uh, my version of heaven, may or may, it may or may not contain a creator God, but one way or the other, I seek to make myself worthy of someone else. A theology of the cross, on the other hand, agrees that we were incapable of climbing up to God. But thanks be to God, he came down from heaven and met us at the unlikeliest of places. At the cross. When you understand all that Paul understood about the cross, then it's not surprising that he's rejoicing even in prison. Although there's so much, so much shame associated with prison. But Paul was realizing that his real association was with Jesus. Colossians 1, 19 to 20 tells us that God reconciled us to himself by making peace with us through the blood of Jesus' cross. One of the things that Maybe we don't think about enough. Or maybe, look, all of us look at Scripture. We see what God says to us and how he calls us to respond. It's important to note that God is always the active agent in anything good that happens in our lives. He's the active agent. He's the one changing us. He's the one who saves us. The one doing all of these wonderful things for us. He made peace with us, reconciling us to himself by making peace with us through the blood of Jesus' cross. The, new, the message of the New Testament is that God's love for us was so great that he made a way for sinful men and women to be made right with the perfect creator of the universe. And that way, 
is through the cross. If you have been the best possible version of you that you are capable of being, and you still think, is it good enough? There's good news for you. It's not good enough. That's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus was good enough. And your hope is to be in Christ. And when you are in Him, His righteousness becomes yours. Jesus, the Son of God in the flesh, lived a perfect life, died as your substitute so that you might be saved. Thank you, Stephen, for pointing that out in the, in the candle, uh, the lighting of the candle this morning. Call out to Jesus. There is great joy in knowing Him. So much so that the circumstances of life do not dictate the condition of your heart and mind as the next point averse. That's when some of you adults may have to look up to. Averse agrees with strongly. A life free from pain may bring you a measure of peace. But only in Christ will you find joyful fulfillment for your days on earth. Over a dozen times, Paul refers to joy and rejoicing. And he does so from prison. Because of his focus on his position of Christ, he was able to see beyond his circumstances and recognize that far from being the disaster in his life that many thought it was, Paul's in prison. Oh, no, this is awful. His status as a prisoner served to advance the gospel because every three hours a fresh soldier of the elite guards in Rome would come in and they would be chained to him. What do you suppose they talked about in those three hours? That he was eight soldiers a day that Paul had opportunity to share the gospel with. And those guys went all over the, the, the western world sharing the gospel. And from there it filtered everywhere. Uh, in addition to seeing his suffering as a privilege for kingdom service, Paul also saw his suffering as a way to enter into a special communion, a level of communion that may well be impossible to, to, to receive without suffering. Philippians 3.10, Paul said that I may know him, that I may know Jesus at the deepest levels and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Paul had said in Philippians 1.29 that suffering is God's call for all who believe in Jesus. And in Philippians 2, he talks about Epaphroditus, a good friend of his who was from Philippi or who, who, who had come from, from Philippi bringing some gifts to Paul from the people there in Philippians <coughs> or in Philippi. And, and now he's sending them back. And he said, you know, Epaphroditus was sick almost to death. And God had mercy on him and on me by sparing him. There's some indication that that sickness may have been satanic in nature. It could have been demonically induced. And Paul was saying he almost died in his service for you. So it could be that some of you are sick and you're like, what's up with this? Well, it could be a spiritual attack. And if that's the case, you can, instead of looking at it as, as a disaster that's come upon you, think about it as an opportunity to be brought into this kind of communion with Christ and to see the power of his resurrection at a level that most people don't get to see. At the very least, Epaphroditus' illness was the result of his tireless kingdom service was rendered to Paul. So, if you're suffering with an illness, and I know some of you are, and I know the news is, is difficult for some of you, if you're suffering at that level, um, rejoice in the Lord. You may be ecstatic if and when you were no longer ill, but if you've never had a problem in your life, you will never find true joy apart from Christ, whether you get better or not, whether you ever suffer or not. True joy is in Christ. 
So third, personal failure may discourage you. But there is joy in knowing that he will complete what he has begun in you. Can I just say this? Um, if you belong to Jesus, he's not going to let you go anywhere. So first of all, quit fighting. Just quit it. Quit. You're going to be of all people most miserable. If you walk away and stay away, chances are you don't belong to Jesus. If you belong to Jesus, He's not letting you go anywhere. You know Philippians 1.6, don't you? Paul said to his friends, I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. When will I ever be done with this flesh on the day of Jesus Christ? When you stand before Christ... You're going to be perfect. That would be enough for the day, I'm guessing, for some of you. If you could really just absorb this. What a beautiful promise. Not only will I be different one day, I will be perfect. It's indeed a true statement to say that I am a work in progress. But it is not I who is... It is not I that am making myself better. Remember, God is the active agent. He is the one who is making me like Jesus, conforming me into the image of Christ. So every time Paul encouraged his uh, readers to live up to their calling, you turned right around and said, you're not the one doing it anyway. It's God working in you. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now... Not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It, it, Paul was saying essentially in verse 12, you know, when I was there and how great it was and we were walking with the Lord. Well, I'm gone now. And it's even more important that you be about this business of living the life that God has called you to live. In fact, work out your own salvation. And then immediately in verse 13, he says, it's not you it's doing this, even though you're doing it with fear and trembling. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Back in the day when everybody was supposed to have a life verse, I don't guess many people feel that way if they're too young these days. That was mine, Philippians 2.13. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So which would be easier for you to identify? Your greatest joy in life. Or the greatest disappointment that you have with yourself. You know, even if. You can identify very readily your greatest joy. It's likely that your own failures keep you from experiencing joy. At the level you desire. Jesus came to the earth for a reason. We're sinful people. We need a savior. We need someone. To forgive our sins. And to bring us into a family. And accept us and love us. In spite of ourselves. The greatest joy. Is Jesus. And when you understand that. You can rest in his forgiveness of your sin. And his promise to continue to mold you into his image, which is the focus of our next point. Worldly pursuits may assist you in becoming a person of influence in this world. But pursuit of Jesus will produce peaceful and joyful spiritual maturity. Distracted. If that, that may be the word that I would use to describe myself. If people said, describe yourself in one word, I'd say distracted. I mean, that's what I am most of the time. No joke. I have my head in this world and all over, all over. Man, I would, it, you know what would be a great world for me? Computer here, iPad here, telephone. Over, I mean, I'm just checking back and forth all over. Well, you can only do that for so long before it drives you absolutely crazy. But I like to know what's happening in the world. And so consequently, if you want to talk to me about something, most of the time I can at least have a semi-intelligent question to talk with you and to, and to go further about it. And a lot of times I can, I, I can hang with you for a while. And I like to think 
somehow I have some influence. I am called, though, to pursue Christ in Scripture and in prayer. That doesn't mean that any of us are supposed to be ignorant of our, our culture and our surroundings. We should know. But it does mean that when Jesus saved us, he designed us to live as though we are in Christ. To say that it is God who will do a work in me if I hope to improve is not meant to, to encourage a passive life. The Christian life is anything but a passive life, or I have to correct myself, life in Christ is anything but passive. We are to pursue Him. Paul's prayer for his friends in Philippians 1, 9 to 11 was not focused on health. It wasn't focused on work or, <clears throat> or school or personal relationships, but rather Paul prayed that their love would grow in knowledge and discernment so that they would produce spiritual fruit Worthy of the gospel. Worthy of the one who calls us. One day we will be presented pure and spotless before the Lord. We're called to pray and to live as if that day really is going to come. Once again, it is difficult to do in a right now live in the moment kind of the world. And, and, which is one of the reasons that illness or, or, or relationships that go badly or None of these things are, are, are a beautiful thing. We're not praising God for all of these awful things that happen, but we praise him in the midst of it. And one of the reasons that he one of the things that he ways that he uses those horrible things is to focus our attention back where it was supposed to be in the first place. Philippians 4, 5, after all, the Lord is at hand. What does it look to live like look like to live in anticipation of Christ's return? Our last point. A life well lived may produce self-satisfaction. But deep joy is only found in a cross-centered life. You absolutely should protect your interests, right? I mean, if you don't look out for yourself, no one else is going to. You treat people a certain way and you expect to be treated the same way, right? Uh, indeed, I doubt you are going to be able to rest until your opponents are put firmly in their place. And the more I think about it, maybe I do deserve that jacuzzi uh, that I saw on television the other day. Where are we going to put that, Allison? I don't know. We we need to build a deck out on the back. We deserve it. I mean, after all. Or perhaps I should spend more time in one of the great Advent texts. Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, Grasp, but emptied himself. And that just simply means that he, he, he put aside some of his, the privileges of his divinity. He did not lay aside his divinity. Jesus is 100% man, 100% God. He didn't lay aside his divinity, but he laid aside some of the privileges. And he took on human form. And just thinking about this this year has overwhelmed me. And I thought I already knew about the second Adam and all that. But to think about God coming as one of us with all of the limitations that he had. He emptied himself by taking the form of a king. No, of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even. Death on a cross. Four times in Philippians, Paul says, follow the example of. Follow the example of Jesus. Follow my example. Follow Timothy's example. Follow Epaphroditus' example. He's constantly pointing to people and saying, these are good examples. We, when we preach gospel rather than law, we 
try to be very careful about that. But, but Paul wasn't worried about that. He understood very clearly that it's, it's gospel, not law. But he also understood clearly that we're expected to live a certain way. And here's a good example. And in every single one of those examples that he gave, they, people were living a, a selfless, Christ-centered, others-centered, cross-centered focus. In other words, Paul was pointing us, when he was pointing to these different people, he was always pointing us back to this text and back to the cross. cross. Consider what it means that Jesus left heaven to become human in the way that he did. Born to a relatively poor family in occupied Israel. His entire life he obeyed God. He obeyed God's law. He was a servant to others. And he humbled himself to one of the most humiliating forms and painful forms of execution ever devised. Crucifixion. Why did he do it? Hebrews 12.2 says that Jesus endured the shame of the cross for the joy that was set before him. What was his joy? It was to obey his father, no doubt, and to be restored to the glory that he had before coming to earth. But surely Jesus' joy was also to fulfill God's plan for our redemption, the forgiveness of sins, so that we could live eternally with him through his sacrifice. When you have been mistreated, most likely you feel justified in righting the wrongs. Indeed, our God is a God of justice and we should seek justice wherever possible. But even then, we should be more concerned about justice for others than we are for ourselves. That's sort of the message of Scripture. We are called to live cross-centered lives Philippians 2, 5 through 8, of course, follows the first four verses of chapter 2. When Paul encouraged, where Paul encouraged believers to die to their own interest and consider others as more important than themselves. Uh, it's a good thing that the, most of the college students, athletes are still here, but a lot of the undergrad students have gone. Uh, that verse in Philippians 2 is often used. Uh, to justify an act that really they shouldn't look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others, you know, when you're taking a test. Like, so don't, that's not what that means. It, it's in the old King James. That's convenient for a lot of things, the old King James. But it does mean care more about the other person than you care about yourself. I've told you this several times. Sean Cross, I heard him say one time, maybe we're, we're never more like Jesus than when, when we're forgiven our enemies. Sean, by the way, will be preaching here two weeks from today. So that's exciting. He's coming for a wedding. Wedding's all over the place. One yesterday, one coming up in a little less than two weeks. Taylor, Robert getting married. Stacia and Seth yesterday was beautiful. David did a beautiful job. And everything about marriage, everything about the Christian, everything about this life that we have in Christ points us to the cross. It reminds us just as we started off, the joy is really about Jesus first, others second, you last. Alice and I were talking about that and she said, well, I know everybody knows that. I said, yes, and we need to be reminded of it. Because it's very true. It's the only way we're ever going to have complete joy. So, the question, when is the last time you have truly considered someone else more important than you? Think about it. All right, that's enough. Okay, I'm going to move on. When have you sacrificed your interests for theirs? And when have you done so with humility, without resentment or a plan to get yours somewhere along the line? You know, I, I, I would say, not, not that you'll get even, but okay, we'll do it your way this time, but next time we'll do it my way, right? Do you not recall, sweetheart? That we've done it your way the last four times? <laughs> when is the last time you just died to yourself? Perhaps the reason that we fail to know full joy in this life 
is because we're so busy trying to be happy. And there's no happiness in a cross. Absolutely none. It's equally true that there is no joy. There's no biblical true joy apart from the cross. The angels rejoiced at Jesus' birth, but Jesus came to die in our place, making peace with us through the cross because of his great love for us. Therefore, we have hope of eternal life. The shadow of the cross fell over the manger. And even as it did, great joy was expressed. And oddly enough, True joy is only found in our lives when we deny ourselves and take up our crosses daily and follow Him. Let's pray. Well, Father, we acknowledge that we are a sinful and needy people we acknowledge that all of our best efforts uh, apart from those efforts done in Christ apart from the good works that were prepared for those who believe before the foundation of the world they were prepared for us and apart from Jesus um, ultimately They are self-serving. So, Father, we pray that you would bring us to an end of ourselves. And in that ending, we find Jesus. Lord, Paul said he wanted to know the suffering of Christ being made like him in his death. And also the power of the resurrection is all wrapped up together. May we... Recognize who you have made us in the Lord. And may we rejoice. And it's in the name of the one who gives us that joy. Jesus, the Son of God, the name by which we must be saved. No other name under heaven. Thank you, Jesus. second letter to the Corinthians. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And all God's people said, Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.